0: On the, on the floor in the barbers Phil posted a, a photo Right Of just this huge mound of hair Like a Mount Kilimanjaro Of curly hair Make you up your own gags And there it was and So I mind? didn't know what to expect When I came in To the men's radio station studio um, This morning Armed with my coffee And it, it's a new look Thank for, you for the, for the gel It's a new look Right
1: um, Phil the hair is back on the air Phil
0: the <laughs> did you, did you think of that yourself? Nope. No, okay, fine. Was that from the BBC? It might have been. Have you nicked it? I might have done. You have done, haven't you? I'm sorry. Right. Um and uh this is what I wanted to this is what I wanted to talk about. Um before we we kick off with our first guest who is winging his way from somewhere um i'm <laughs> facing london transport
1: james's mother just entered the studio no, if anyone really was really trying to say who it was no wasn't. i wanted people to know this on <laughs> facebook in case they saw it and they wondered who that was you will
0: see a a blonde woman who looks like she's going to a cocktail party dressed to the nines this is james blake the producer's mum i could Sigmund Freud would write 17 volumes on what goes on in the studio between James and (laughs) his mum. In all of my working life, I have never seen anything like it. I've never worked with anybody whose mother comes in and says... Isn't he fabulous? Every other <laughs> sentence. I did point out that she wasn't helping her son's career trajectory with this constant love
1: in. You say that, but at the same time, she is doing absolute wonders for his publicity and boosting his image. Oh, yes. I mean... She's he, my PR he, lady. She really is. And your, really <laughs> <laughs> <and laughs> your
0: mum. No, and brilliant. And and, very and, good. And your mum. Now, uh, <laughs> men's radio station, when men really have a nervous breakdown sometimes, it would appear. <laughs> now, um, live on air. Yesterday, last night, um, and this is what I want to talk about. It's a serious subject, right? So last night I went to the uh, Bridge Theatre and I booked these tickets months and months and months ago, as soon as it was announced, to go and see Dame Maggie Smith in a one-woman show entitled A German Life. I knew nothing about the play, but it was Maggie Smith. That's good enough for me. Her first London stage performance in over 12 years. Very, very big deal. Uh, Last night, Saturday, was the uh, opening night. There's no reviews out yet. Uh, I'm simply going to say that... uh, By the way, the whole run sold out. I'm simply going to say it was the greatest stage performance I've ever seen in my life. It was amazing. But putting that to one side, because we're not here to discuss that side of it, it was incredible. It's a German life at the Bridge Theatre. If you can get a ticket, just get it. I mean, just don't even hesitate. Just try and go. (coughs) And you can read my review. Oh, my God.
1: Oh dear, well I tell you what. The cash, the cash is in the... (laughs) the (laughs) Right,
0: and you can read my review on Facebook, on my Facebook page. Now... Mr. I Kane, know. I tell you what, I, I tell you what, I Mr. Kane. Why, why,
1: why don't you recover yourself a little bit? And um, whilst he is recovering, of course, we should tell you that if yeah. you're out there in listener land and if you would like to join in any of the conversations <sighs> that we're about to have on men's radio station, we would very much like it if you would take part. So please do give us a call. Don't worry. The telephone jingle has sadly not been eliminated. Oh, we will be hearing that in yes, just a moment. yes, we will. But you could always call 0203 290 Double one. Mr. Kane, welcome back.
0: Thank you so much. I'm sorry. I just was dying there. Um, now, the theme of the play is as follows. And this is what I wanted to discuss with the gang. Uh, it's a one-woman play. And Maggie Smith plays. It's the true story of a, a German woman born in 1911. And it traces her life as she lives in Berlin. And you can see where I'm going with this. She's born in 1911. The father fights the First World War comes back, and she's a very ordinary woman. She's a uh, basically a typist and a, a shorthand typist. And, of course, then you get into the 1930s and your stomach's beginning to clench because it is the sheer banality of what she's saying, the sheer ordinariness of events that were to shape the world. And she said it in a very, very, very... Uh, low-key, conversational way. There's no drama as such. So my question to you, especially in how we live in 2019, is, what would you do in the face of such evil? What would you do in your personal life? Because this typist, she works for an insurance firm, she works in a, in a dress shop, and she ends up as one of the secretaries for Goebbels in the Ministry of Propaganda. For her, it's simply a job. For her, she simply wants to increase her monthly pay because her father won't give her any money. And bit by bit, <clears throat> not surprisingly in Berlin, her friends start to disappear. And I just wonder what you would do in the face of evil when it seems like there's absolutely nothing you could do. Phil, Dave.
1: hmm well, my goodness me, you weren't kidding. This is quite a big subject, isn't it? Yeah, well, I don't mug about. <laughs> I, do you want to know what I honestly believe? Well,
0: no, lie to me. wouldn't you? Well, be no, because it might, want, it, no, I, but it might not be what
1: I, everyone wants to hear. I, it I, might...
0: I, 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 well, we don't know what everybody wants to hear. I want to know what you think. I don't want to know what everybody wants to hear. Okay, I
1: think that if something no, is totally exactly. and utterly beyond your control and you are in a position where you have very little choice, as it were, but to carry on doing what you're doing for the sake of saying maybe you for your career your family or support whatever it might be mm-hmm. whatever you have to do even if you are in the face of evil if you really haven't got any control over what happens and you potentially put your life at risk or yourself at risk mm-hmm. for reporting something i think it's every man to himself
0: well that's pretty much what 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 happened there i mean she starts to date some guy he drags her off to a meeting and she didn't even know what the meeting was and of course it was a huge rally they say to her have you joined the party you know if you want to get on on the, on the radio she works in a radio station can you believe so and, do I yeah I know Well, we all do mm-hmm. and uh, so she joins the party but she was never asked to show her credential I mean it's a, just a fascinating thing because bit by bit by bit you see where this is going and of course there's a wonderful line in it which is so utterly uh, relevant to 2019 and the complete, total nightmare mess that we're in 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 Britain because of the idiots who are looking after us and uh, just, just hopeless. Um, she's she's talking about the propaganda she says, "Well, of course, now no one would ever believe propaganda and work, and then you know vote on it." And the whole audience burst out as uh, burst out laughing as you could well imagine. James Blake,
2: quick question: So is she a Jew?
0: No, she's not. She's absolutely not. So she's just an average German citizen. She's a very average German citizen, um, yeah, who ends up living. In, uh, she's born in Berlin. She lives in Berlin, and uh, right through the war till the Russians arrive.
1: See,
2: it's, it's a tough one. I have to, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because it's a, it's a very. You're in a very tricky spot. Because on the one hand, it's it's her livelihood, and she probably needs it. But on the other hand what
0: it's could evil. she have done? The, the thing you come out with saying is, well, yes, yeah, she's, and and then she says, well, what did I know? And I was just, a, I was just a secretary. I mean, she didn't say I was following orders because she didn't see anything that was 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 sensitive particularly. Uh, and but she knew Goering. and the uh, but the, and what? she knew what was going on. I mean, no, no, she says she doesn't. Mm. She said. They thought they were rehabilitation camps. They were told they were rehabilitation camps.
1: And apart from anything, I mean, and I'm speaking as someone who I am perfectly sure, without knowing this for a fact, had family that was affected by the actions of 1930s Germany. But I would say that I find it very hard to blame everyday citizens who were genuinely going about their everyday life thinking that they were just in in an honest job that happened to be at that point in time. So in other words, a secretary who doesn't necessarily know the full understanding. And let's not forget, that was obviously an age where news was not very easily accessible. I know a lot of people dismiss this and they say, oh no, you must have heard it. You have to know what was going on. Well, no, we're talking in a very exposed world in this day and age. We have social media that keeps us abreast with both genuine and, sorry to quote a certain Mr. Trump, fake news. Mm. We are very aware of what's happening in our world because it is so instantly shared with all of us. If something abhorrent happens, instantly what do people do? They get out their camera phone, they video it, they post it on social media, there's an inquiry, everyone's dismissed. You know exactly what's going to happen because before it even starts now because that's the age we live in. Of course, if all of these atrocities were going on behind closed doors and people were not privy to the information that pertained to what was actually happening, I would argue that even as someone who may well have family affected by the Holocaust and all of those actions, that potentially they didn't know what was going on. And why would they?
2: If you're working for the minister of propaganda in Nazi Germany in mm-hmm. the 1930s, I'm sure you have some understanding of the propaganda machine and what's being yes, told. Yes, she said she
0: told. had to. They don't use the term fake news in this play. It's a brilliant play. But it's clear they're faking it up. So when they had to report atrocities committed, uh, I I use the word atrocities from their viewpoint, uh, by the Russians on German citizens, uh, they had to up all the numbers of people
1: dead and raped and everything else. So so she was aware that. that they were changing. The facts. But even if she knew that, Mm. what could you possibly expect someone in that position to do? Either face the prospect for all they know of being destroyed by the very regime that she's working for, or speak out and people say, no, you're, you're mad, you're, you're not telling the truth, this just simply isn't the case at all. What on earth are you banging on about? And then therefore lose the job at the very best.
0: Well, the, the least would be losing the job because she knew some people in this play and they put out some pamphlets and they were both guillotined. Not the pamphlets, the people.
1: So just they have put, it. Just,
0: just for putting out the, the pamphlets. And...
1: So when you see actions like that who on earth in their right mind is going to speak out against it i know that we live in an age now where people are very much for rise against the authorities and power to the people and all of that malarkey but the truth is that people come to power they're in power whether you like it or not it might not necessarily be what you agree with it might not necessarily be what you particularly voted for if you live in a democratic society it may not be what you like and the world that you like living in But the awful truth is sometimes things happen. And I hate the terminology things because it's quite broad. But sometimes decisions are made that are against our will and against our better judgment. But they are ultimately done by people who are in a position of power. And whether we like it or not, that's what happens. And this is what we're seeing. I'm sorry. Do you
0: see no parallels for what could happen in 2019, 2020 in Britain? Do you see no parallels at all?
1: I see parallels with certain uh, members of parliament, shall we say, who seem to have quite a lackluster attitude towards people's genuine concerns. But at the same time, they're the ones in the position of power, not us. So So even though I'm not excusing it... You wouldn't do anything about it. What can you do? What on earth can we as everyday citizens do about it? I'm not saying that I'm not necessarily against what happens either today or indeed what happened back in the 1930s. But what can everyday people do about it? It is ultimately the people who are in the position of power that have the clues in the title. They have the power. Okay, they are the ones who are in charge. They're the ones who make the key decisions that could ultimately affect everyday lives along the lines of yours and mine. But there's not necessarily anything we can do about it until a general election, for example, comes up. And then you change all those people in power. And sometimes that goes the way you want it to, and sometimes it goes the way you don't want it to. It's a beautiful thing called democracy. And well, even if we don't like it, sometimes it works against us.
2: Well, people forget as well, in 1933, the Nazi Party was actually democratically ev- elected as yeah, no, the, the head no, of Germany. No, yeah, so, they, 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 as she says, we were all bewitched. Yeah, but that, that bewitchment, where does that bewitchment come from? It comes from the, Dep- the, the Department of Propaganda. It,
0: it comes from a desire of the people. Is where it comes from. I just don't. You know, they always make it out. It was like three and a half people, and they were the only guilty ones. So where it was, it was, it was well, not that at
2: all. Well, Jordan Peterson, who's a very controversial psychologist, and those who are listening, you have your opinions on him. But he wrote a book talking about that very idea, how it was actually just it was the the very higher ups in the uh, Nazi party, and they. <coughs> Essentially, what it is, they brainwashed everyone. And he talks all about how they did these little, little things to make it so eventually you kind of sort of saw the and way they were. you don't work.
0: see any parallels between Britain and, and 2019. I do. I'm not saying I, can, saying I don't see parallels.
1: I, you really don't? No, I'm not saying I don't see parallels. And it doesn't worry you. But I, I think that it's weird. They're Please don't tell me there's nothing you can do parallels. about it. There's, there's huge parallels. That's why the play is so timely. What you can do is you can put an X next to an individual who you genuinely believe could change something for you. But I don't believe you can do very much else other than that. Did you
0: not hear James's words about propaganda, the way people are brainwashed?
1: Absolutely. And all you can do is when you have the conversation with people, this is what I don't understand, is that politics is quite a closed off subject unless you work in a news environment. When you're out in everyday life, people might mention politics if they know factually that they agree with each other's points of view. But as soon as they have a difference of opinion, that's it, they shy away because they're worried about what it could ultimately mean for a friendship or a relationship between two individuals. They don't want to talk about politics if they know they differ. But actually, it's those conversations that help to change the way society thinks. And potentially it could be for better, it could be for worse as well.
2: Do you know, I think that's a very English thing, the, the, the shying away from political adversary. It seems like in this country, we, we kind of, we're very quiet, aren't we? Whereas I've got I've got a friend of mine who's Turkish and obviously in Turkey there's mad it's the same sort of thing where it's like you know oh someone gets into power and they start saying all these things and they start painting this picture and he says when you go back when he goes back to Turkey it's like violence in the streets almost people are so much arguing about the ideas. I was wondering when I was watching the play this
0: week it was announced. Um, Uh, And the media did a whole hoo-ha about it, as you'd expect, that the Sultan of Brunei had brought in a complete... I wondered if this is going to come up. Well, of course it's going to come up. (laughs) Why wouldn't it? Sharia law in Brunei. And we've always seen Brunei as friends to the UK, whatever that might mean. And as part of the Sharia law, um, if you are homosexual, you'll be stoned to death, as well as adultery, plus all the other things that they bring in. Um... And there was there was a big thing about well let's boycott these these uh, places yeah the owned, hotels that they own and that things they own like around that. the world and everyone said yeah and I, I did a long post about it and a lot of people agreed and then I got a phone call from a very dear friend of mine and a great friend of men's radio stations it so happens who said you're completely wrong all that's happening with you suggesting that for example the Dorchester or wherever it might be in Los Angeles as well is boycotted is that the people who work there are going to be unemployed and out of work and exactly. on the street. And do you actually think that the Sultan of Brunei could give a, give a monkey's because he could lose 20% of his income, wouldn't even give him a sleepless night? Who cares? He's You know, he could never spend his money ever. So it's a completely pointless exercise. And I said, well, what else can one do? You've got to show some support for humanity. And he said, well, go stand outside the, the, the embassy and complain. Don't try and boycott the thing. But I do know that one charity that I was associated with for many, many years uh, as its CEO and uh, trustee has pulled two events from
2: the hotel in London um, as a result of that. I think think boycotting does something. I think if he loses 20% of his income, it's still going to hurt him. He's still going to worry it, about it's, it. it it's, still all, it's all oil income, it's not really from hotels, it, it means nothing to it it still them. Sends a hotels message. are a hobby, it's to a him. pocket, it's a pocket money. It still sends a message. I mean, that play is talking about sending a message and do you stand up for something? You're still standing up and saying, No, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna support. Well, it's this. a
0: hell of a lot easier, of course, when you're not in Nazi Germany <laughs> to course. just say, I'm not going to your hotel. And a lot of people quite rightly said, Well, uh, this is irrelevant, Russ, because I couldn't afford to go to the hotel. I get that point. I get I get that point entirely, but a lot of organisations have their big galas and stuff like that, and that is income.
2: That's what I mean. So when when someone a charity pulls away, it sends a message, doesn't it? It, sends, it says we oppose to uh, ideas. But
0: of course, I'm, I'm logical enough, James, to know. Do you think in Brunei they're going? Ooh, XYZ charities not having their gut. Go- oh, damn, we better stop Sharia not. Law.
2: They couldn't care Of course, care they're, less. Not. Of course they're not. But I don't know what they, else to do. They are having a conversation about it. No, they're not. Of course they are. I don't are. think they of do. Of course they are. It might not be like, you know, oh, scramble the cabinet, whatever. It's a disaster. But there's definitely people sitting around a desk going like, how do we solve this issue? Because it's still a problem.
0: I just find it abhorrent. Abhorrent of course, you do in twenty nineteen, that for being gay, you're going to be stoned to death. Oh, I mean, what the hell? This and is, anyone with
1: it? sound reasoning would think exactly the same, that it is abhorrent. But the awful truth is... It's barbaric. Of course it is. But again, it comes back to what I was saying a little bit before. It's not a defeatist attitude. It's actually a realistic attitude. It's saying that there are some people who are in power who unfortunately sometimes you'll agree with them and sometimes you won't agree with them. And very scarcely is there actually anything that can really be done about it. Sure, make your voice heard. Sure, you can say, I'm going to boycott these various institutions just because I'm demonstrating how much I find abhorrent society a society sorry that has a particular way of living and a way of life and a way of believing which for the record in itself is another debate how right are we or wrong are we to question someone's belief if that is their belief that's their belief who are we they shouldn't question ours any more than we should question theirs but that's another subject as far as but,
0: no phil sorry there are certain Lines in the sand in humanity that just are ridiculous to be crossed.
1: Of course they are, to so you and when, me and well to anyone who's say, sane.
0: When you say it can't be questioned, it's like, no, it can be questioned.
1: Okay, all right. Well, what if the boot was on the other foot? What if it was a case that the Sultan of Brunei and his ministers were questioning the way that we behave? I'm not saying that they are right in their attitude. Simple please, respect. please don't misconstrued. OK, mm. but let's just say the Sultan of Brunei and his ministers questioned our country's attitude towards homosexuality. Mm-hmm. What would we do? We would tell them to beggar off none of your business. Keep your nose out.
0: We of would it. say as human beings, we don't think it's right to kill someone for the way that they feel.
1: And of course, it's not right. We there is, there is absolutely right zero chop justification for that.
0: Shot somebody's arm off for stealing a an apple or whatever it
1: is i agree uh, there is zero are, justification but it is are. their country it's their belief <sighs> it might be wrong but it's what they believe so i'm not saying that i condone it by any so stretch we of the imagination could have gone back
0: so just round off this particular argument phil dave we what? could have standing <clears throat> in no standing in ni- in britain in 1930s uh, six million Jews homosexuals communists and anyone they didn't like sent up the chimneys we could have said but well, you know what we don't really agree with it but hey it's none of our business
2: That's how we started off is that is that is that the view that's how we
0: that's start- how your logic extends
1: that's how we started off for the record. that's what I would say is sound reasoning it's not so right
0: so you, you stand you stand by and just let it happen
1: and it's funny. That, I, don't, I don't understand. But how that. can you change it? What? Okay. All right. Let, well, let's well, put it another well, way. Okay. Let's put it another way. Them, no. No. Let's, well, no. But then what's that going to solve? Violence doesn't solve anything. How? What? How exactly? Violence solves a lot of things. All right. So you're suggesting Actually. that if you were to start a military, uh, a military sort of uh, uh, defense against them or whatever the expression well, against is,
0: Brunei. against Bernard. No, I'm not suggesting that. It's ridiculous. Every time they try, it's a disaster.
1: Exactly. So what's the answer is. then? You can't go and bomb them and say that that's the answer. No, to I'm it.
0: not. No, I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm so, not suggesting okay, so violence we... against them. Every time we we stick our nose into Middle Eastern affairs, it is an
1: absolute, unmitigated and there we terrible disaster. Fine. So, what's the answer then? Therein lies the problem. I'm not suggesting that you are wrong in what you say, that it is abhorrent and that something should be done about it. But let's be honest, the tactics of this great country of ours that have happened in years, recent years gone by, haven't exactly worked. And I would argue the tactics have not worked since the Second World War. If you look at the way that eventually the British did liberate the camps, working alongside their allies, liberated the camps all over Europe to ensure that the Nazis regime was well and truly at an end, have we really ever seen success like that since? And the answer is probably not. Falkland Island? Well, not on the same scale then. Well, that, well but of course so. it's not on the same but
2: scale, but again, you're going to be pushed also, around all the time. Also, what about when um, Operation Desert Storm, was it? I, I don't know. George H.W. Bush's invasion. I oh, would never have
0: started any of that. But anyway, that, that it's success. very interesting. The reason I'm talking about this is because Men's Radio Station, our strapline line. Which we we spent long and hard thinking about is where men really talk. So you got three guys talking today. Always love your views. What's the uh, telephone number, Mr. James Blake, producer?
1: I, I love, it. You I love see, it, I love I it, I love it, we've, we've gone from a really <laughs> serious subject, 02032904411. Uh, well it's a bit like uh, a certain
0: radio station, I won't mention its name, we call it BBC Radio London, and um, <laughs> where you can be discussing something at, in the middle of the night really, really heavy and it's like, well Phil, um, you know, I, I hope you recover, you've been really bad. Anyway, here's Diana Ross. <laughs> <laughs> it's
1: fantastic so, Don't be mean uh, about my current employers
0: you, well, I'm not being mean, I'm being <laughs> honest That's how it is, it's it's, it's a fantastic Juxtaposition, because otherwise you've got to find Exactly the right, you don't know how the conversation Is going to go on the phone, those guys don't Know, mm. so you can't have Every tune in the world lined up, so it's always Going to be sometimes a juxtaposition, you go well, What the heck
1: that's this is nat- true. That's nat- anyway, here's some Diana Ross. No, no, so, <laughs>
0: right, we're going to we're going to have a breather. Phil's probably going to punch me in the mouth <laughs> and we're going to pay the rent.
2: You're listening to Men's Radio Station where men
0: really talk. They certainly do. Um this is Men's Radio Station where men oh, really talk. I'm, I I, can't, I don't know. I just decided to do a it's been so heavy. And it's got me so depressed. I decided to do a cartoon voice, and um,
1: you know, I think it worked.
0: Thank you very much. Um, That's Phil Dave. I'm Russ Kane, and rocking the decks with great dexterity today.
1: It's easier for you to say.
0: I I was waiting for that. I just bet in my head. I bet my house on that. Um, Rocking the decks. uh, James Blake, boy wonder, producer. Coming up in a moment, he said brilliantly looking at his notes, is somebody called Sam Thomas. Sam is a campaigner, and he's recovering from bulimia. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to be talking to him in a minute. He's, he's going to be on the line. He was going to be here, but now he's going to be on the line, which, you know, there you go. With the wonders
1: of modern technology, it modern means that we've rectified it. Be what? Say that again We have rectified the situation
0: (laughs) It's just I can't take you seriously When you say the words rectified Can you ever take him seriously? (laughs) I take Phil very seriously I've known him for years And we've had a lot of adventures And This is Uh, true actually We've had had a lot of adventures They've normally
1: involved Whiskey and cigars They
0: have And also Phil Let's not kid ourselves We've fallen out With a lot of people
1: (laughs) Yeah that's very true As well actually
0: (laughs) (laughs) And then I said Oh Phil make up With her Usually It's usually her Make up with her To which I say You go why And I go Because You know Mm. It's true Didn't really work out did it Anyway so there we are (laughs) Uh, Conservative estimates More than one in ten Sufferers of eating disorders Are male Yep uh, some say that the proportion is closer to a quarter. Either way, is it either or either? I
2: prefer either. either I think either is the English.
1: As yeah. you say, either is preferable. Prefer- I can't say it. was oh, no, for me to say. Yeah.
2: Either is preferable.
1: How do you ever work for the BBC? I have no idea. Absolutely miracle. No The uh, figure is
0: rising. Only recently people started to realise that bulimia, anorexia and other eating disorders do not discriminate on gender grounds I never thought they actually did but it's something that we're there
1: right but is it part and parcel of, of how and this is exactly what men's radio station stands for mm-hmm. could it be that it's women who talk more about it
2: yeah
0: sure I think that's I think that's really at the the core of why we started the sh- uh, started the station Sam hello and good afternoon
3: Good afternoon how are you? I'm not too bad, thinking. Not too. Sorry, not... I can't be there face no. to face. Well, I, I'm um, sorry.
0: I'm sorry you're not but... here because we always love yeah. uh, meeting our guests. But 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 never mind. You're nice and uh, clear from BFPO twenty. I'm oh, sorry. sorry, sorry. <laughs> when I was a kid, Sunday radio, and they had two-way family favourites a thousand years ago, and you know it was a miracle someone could hear you in Aiden or somewhere like that. It was just I don't even know where Aiden is. Say. What
1: are you Lawton? talking
0: about? What the light program. BBC. Oh, that
1: was what they used to call Radio Two, wasn't it? No,
0: Radio No, Radio One was the Light Programme. It was a Radio One. Yeah, Radio Four program. was the Home Service.
1: Right, that's why I said Radio Two. But anyway, mm.
0: there wasn't such a thing as Radio. I'm so oh, sorry. Anyway, Sam. anyway, sorry, Sam. Just a second. That was me <laughs> and Phil. Um, ow! Right, ow! Did that hurt, Phil? Right, Sam. Um, mm. Talk us through your story because it's um, it, it's very interesting and it's very poignant and it's of its mm. time. Go on, off you go.
3: Right, where do I start? And um, well, beginner. my story begins when I was thirteen, um, and as I think you mentioned, I developed bulimia, um, and that was actually to do with bullying that I endured at school, um, and I was bullied for a number of different reasons, um, partly because I was very clever and because you were very sorry, were you, because you
0: were very clever, or you. Were, I didn't hear what you said. Well,
3: you know, I was a, quite a studious, high-achieving pupil to start with, and it was pretty obvious as well that you know I wasn't the typical male. Um, I didn't necessarily, you know, have a strong sense of my own identity at that point or know what my sexual orientation was, but everyone else seemed to assume that I was gay. You know, this is 20 years ago now. So, of course, you know, in those times, you know, it was very different back then. Um, you know, understanding around sexual orientation and, you know, being gay um, was very discriminated against. But you, but you didn't, now.
0: absolutely. But you didn't think... You were, I mean, you didn't, you didn't, hadn't worked out who you were or what what you were. I just hadn't
3: joined up the dots at that point. You know, I was thirteen, so you know, I think, you know, you know, if I had, you know, I had some awareness, obviously, but you know, I just hadn't realised all that just yet. And you know, like I say, you know, it was the bullying that caused the bulimia, and it was kind of my way of sort of dealing with things. Um, It was a coping mechanism, albeit a very unhealthy and very damaging one, but it was something that I thought I only did. I didn't realise that I didn't know anything about eating disorders, let alone anorexia. Um, so it didn't really cross my mind that there was such a uh, an illness called bulimia.
0: And talk us through, if you don't mind, I'm sorry if you're having mm. your lunch at home, everybody, uh, but bulimia it is, is what exactly?
3: Uh, it's a good question. Because um, a lot of people are kind of familiar with anorexia to a certain extent, but bulimia seems to be a bit of a mystery in, it, in part because... It's a very se- secret and very hidden illness. Um, so my case was quite uh, typical in that sense. You know, one I'd isolate myself, usually in the boys' toilets at school, oh or you know, at home, and used just binge literally on the contents of my lunchbox or wherever I could get hold of. Um, and then eventually, you know, because of the anxiety and the build-up of tension, um, would relieve that by you know making myself sick, basically. Was and, that after you know, it did every time you enormous ate? enormous sense of relief.
0: Was that, Sam, Sam, was that after every time you ate, you, you made yourself sick?
3: Uh, I mean, it was on a very frequent basis, yes. Um, you know, it did vary considerably depending what was going on at that time, whether I was bullied, uh, you know, that particular day, um, how isolated I might have been. There were several different factors. And of course, you know, as a teenager growing up, you know, mm-hmm. your hormones are kicking in. So trying to work out all that all that sort of uh, side to things, like I say, like identity and and, you know, my grades were suffering quite enormously because of the bullying as well. So that was another added pressure on all the everyday pressures that teenagers go through. Um, and like I say, you know, I was not popular. I didn't have friends. So it was just my way of coping. And I remember when I was 15, I was actually reading uh, one of my mum's magazines. Um, and I often joke now, clearly I must have been bored. <laughs> but, you know, it was, I was actually reading the Agony aunt column. Um, and there was a letter from a single mother who basically, you know, she just split up from her partner. She put her kids to bed at night, fairly early, and then used to binge and purge herself. Now, of course, I did not relate with her situation, but I certainly related with the behaviours, and that's how I came to learn that, you know, or relate with bulimia
1: um, in that way. And so up until that point, would you say that you just thought that this is me, this is the way I am, there's nothing abnormal? Completely,
3: absolutely. I didn't even, It didn't even cross my mind. That's how oblivious I was to it. Because, you know, I I guess thinking back now, you know, if you have a stomach bug, for instance, and, you know, you're sick a few times, it usually helps you to relieve the symptoms because it gets rid of the bug. So I guess it was that sort of same mentality. And I think when I came to learn that of this new illness, bulimia, that obviously
1: was very much something that I could relate with. Can you think of anything? Can you think of anything that would have triggered it? Can you think of anything, maybe that someone might have said? No one ever made any reference to any weight um, or anything like that. There wasn't. The, not, it, there wasn't, wasn't any it. trigger at all. Exactly as such.
3: it, um, because no one knew anything about it. Like I say, said at the beginning, you know, it's very secretive and very hidden. You know, so people wouldn't necessarily know anything. And the interesting thing about bulimia, and I think this is the thing that people tend to get a bit confused about, is that you don't necessarily lose weight, and you don't necessarily gain weight. So there's no physical obvious signs not like anorexia for instance where over a period of time obviously someone's going to lose an enormous amount of weight excuse me so therefore you know the physical signs do get picked up on a lot sooner bulimia not the case so i think that's the bit i think people get you know stumble on uh, in their thinking and you know an understanding around bulimia
0: sam um, sam hi um now just to wind this back a little bit were, mm. were, were, did you have both pa- forgive me, did you have both parents at home at the time or single parent? Or?
3: I, I, my mother, um, yes she was a, often at work, I mean she worked ridiculous amount of hours so you know she was around but not around. No any sense. brothers or sisters? Yes, I had half brother and half sister. Right, um, okay, okay. The, the, the
0: reason I'm asking is because mm. it's twofold. Number one interesting, I don't know how many times you've, you've heard the, the, the shows that we put out here on the men's radio mm. station but Bullying at school is the most. It underlines so many of the guests that we we come in, and whatever it might have been, that yes. the, the problems start at school. Mm. It's uncanny, absolutely uncanny, the impact that, that 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 it has. So, just dealing with the bullying for a moment, and uh, a, at a critical their, age
3: a, as well. When you're a teenager, you know, it, I mean, obviously, bullying in all its forms at whatever age has an enormous impact. Yes, it does. But I think when you're sort of trying to figure out all these things for yourself and very disengaged from the people around you, with its friends, with its family. You know, it does sort of, um, you know, reinforce that sense of isolation. And of course, it just manifests itself in different ways. So, you know, people with bulimia might end up having drug and alcohol problems, for instance, or self-harm. You know, it, it, there's often a lot of crossover between these different issues.
0: It's a form of self-harming, isn't it? I mean, making yourself vomit is, is, yeah. is pretty, pretty yeah. ghastly. But what I was going to ask was this, that when you got home from school, was your your, your mum, was she working so hard you couldn't turn around and say, Mum, I'm having a terrible time at school, I'm being bullied. Was there no one you could turn to, Sam?
3: Oh, well, she was aware of the bullying, yes, and she did write some very angry letters on quite a regular basis to try and deal with that. And to no avail, unfortunately. Cause Nothing did the teachers not the pick up school. on it, but the bulimia, no. And again, this is why it's it is surprising, but not surprising all at the same time, because I was regularly truanting from school, and I think to some extent because I was hiding in the boys' toilets, they wouldn't really necessarily think to find me there, and of course I wasn't going to tell them where I were. Um, so, and it was only for brief stints. So, you know, I would sneak out, go back to the lesson. So sometimes it would go quite unnoticed. It was a very chaotic school as well, to be honest. So I was probably not really. It sounds. I mean, you, wouldn't need, be, you wouldn't need to be. You wouldn't need
0: to be Colombo to work out well, where no. could where could uh, where could Sam Thomas be. Well, let's look in the boys' loose, shall we? I mean, you know, it's not. You do to be Well, I know I know. It's,
3: it's, 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 it, in some ways, it's funny for them a reason because you would think yes, we can't find him anywhere possibly boys' toilets, but you know. Like I say, you know, there were a lot of problematic students in my year group. You know, it's funny enough, just talking to a friend last week, actually, Uh, It's one of the only school friends that, you know, I'd maintain contact with and echoed exactly the same thing. So I guess because it was not on the radar of the teachers that therefore, you know, I was very successful, I guess, trying to sort of carry out these behaviours unnoticed. So, yeah. Like I no, say, and it might seem surprising from an outsider's point of view, but then again, not that surprising when I come to think about it. I
0: understand that. I'm just trying. I'm just trying to. Under, I'm only trying to understand it uh, myself and act as a sort of bridge to the listeners as well, who I'm, so, mm. I'm sort of sitting at home going, well, "Why did not he do this? Why did not he do that?" And it's very. When you tell the story, you can see why. Did your siblings never realise that you were, you know? I don't think. Suffering? I
3: think when they became older, yes, but they were younger. I mean, my sisters four years my junior, my um, brother, uh, he was oh, hang on a minute, eight years my junior, so they certainly wouldn't have been aware of anything per se. And I was going to say about my mother as well, because I think the other thing that I think I probably realized later on in life, I think because you know food would often go missing in the at home, you know, she would probably just be thinking hungry teenager, yeah, do you see what I mean? So even well, the do, obvious yeah. signs would easily gone unnoticed because it wouldn't have been unusual for a teenager to eat a lot more than usual, especially rubbish food. So, so therefore, you know, I I don't really, I kind of get why, you know, even my mother didn't pick up on the signs necessarily. And she was at work uh, most of the time. You know, she just literally worked, worked and worked. Let's Uh, talk a little bit
1: about that turning point, though, because you mentioned just now about Mm. an Agony Aunt column you were reading. Mm. And you you read about how a, a woman had suffered if that's the right i don't even know whether or not suffers an insult is that the right term do you do you do you I mean, mind it, it, people it, it, saying suffer with with bulimia I, I,
3: yes well i definitely suffered there's no question of that um in all sorts of different ways um you could say i've got lived experience or in recovery from you know it's just different ways of putting it meaning the same but
1: okay well for all, you know, for all intents and purposes if we were to say that, that you, you read about an individual who mm you could relate to someone who mm. was carrying out similar behavioral patterns to you. Was it that the turning point that you thought, that you thought to yourself, well, no. okay, there's something this, not right here. This
3: is the point I was just about to say, actually, and that's good. Um, basically, I, I, I think the way that I look back on it now, in some ways it had the opposite effect of what the realization of the illness could have had in terms of speaking to someone, getting help, etc., etc. Instead, if anything, it sort of gave permission for and validated the, you know, not just the underlying issues, but also the illness itself. So yeah, because you could, you could you sort could of see someone was doing what you were self-harm. doing, and
1: therefore it was okay, almost.
3: Yeah, it's exactly what I'm saying. It just became that weapon to use in which to self harm. Wow. Um, so I think, it, like I say, it just reinforced all those negative feelings that I was experiencing. At, at, you know, a very vulnerable time of my life, and especially at that age.
0: And um, if you, you then started a, a movement or a charity, correct?
3: Yes, I've, I've done quite a bit in the respect, you know, mental health, you know, broadly speaking, but particularly with eating disorders, because it's quite interesting, you know, I tend to forget that, you know, I was quite one of the fortunate people, that even though I did attempt to seek help cal- at, at 16 just after I left school, but at 18, you know, back to saying what you were saying, uh, what you mentioned at the beginning is that, you know, especially at that time, which was over about 15 years ago now, there was no awareness really of men with eating disorders in fact the general awareness of eating disorders was you know not all that at the time and you know i remember it was probably in the height of the size zero sort of period you know which was regularly debated in the press and the media and all that really did was reinforce you know the stereotypes and the assumptions around eating disorders you know particularly that you know obviously it's a female only issue that younger women will experience you know, relating with sort of models, catwalk models more specifically, obviously trying to lose a lot of weight. And actually, for me, that didn't represent me at all and what I was experiencing. And not only that, you know, it kind of missed the point that for me it was never about body image or trying to lose weight or, you know, or anything along those lines. Actually, it was triggered by the bullying very
1: specifically. And that's actually probably the biggest lesson that I've learned from you today is because it's in rightly or wrongly. That's one thing I've always associated with, someone who has bulimia is that, oh, they're just trying to quick fix to repair their Uh, body
3: Not the case case at all. I think a lot of it is more to do with self-esteem issues. Um, You know, and all sorts of lots of, I mean, I've always said that eating disorder is a combination and culmination of different issues built up over time. There's no, it's not really black and white. It's not clear cut. So the causes and the contributing factors for that, you know, are quite hardwired, deep rooted and often does link to trauma. Um, and just how it manifests itself can be different. So you know, for certain, like I said earlier, you know, certain people might develop deliriums or anorexia or tend to drink and drugs or self-injure or whatever. You know what I mean? And often do quite a few of those things at different points in their lives. And that's something else that I've realised um, as the years have gone on.
1: In in the absence of a better word, are you cured now? As in, do you do you ever get relapses now, or is it something that's totally you know in your what?
3: past? It's, it's a very interesting question because I had a bit of a. a a realization I think over the past years. You know, I will be honest on the phone now. I've been to hospital, mental health hospital twice um, over the past year, you know, I had to take a bit major step back from my work, all sorts of different things. But you know, one of the things that I did realise, I think, when I was in hospital fairly recently is that, you know, it's never really a question is it cured or are you ever, you know, re- you know totally recovered. I think it's actually about managing the issues rather than resolving or solving the traumas. And that's just the harsh brutal sort of you know reality of it I think Um, and I think you know i spent far too long trying to fix the bulimia or trying to fix you know I turned to exercise for a long time and then started drinking quite a bit you know all sorts of different things and I think it's just again to stress the point it's just the manifestations of the trauma that perhaps is never going to be truly resolved but if you accept it and learn to manage it ideally with healthy non-damaging coping mechanisms with a support network around you, hopefully, yes, it can be truly manageable. It's a shocking so. thing.
0: It's a shocking thing, Sam, isn't it? That the people who were bullying <clears throat> you probably don't even remember you. Probably have just got on with their lives. They don't even think about school, whatever they're doing. And well, you are left, actually. and you are left yeah. in, and you are mm-hmm. left in its wake, and uh, haven't shaken it off. I mean, um, it's sad. Isn't essentially, it? it's that's
3: true. But then again, you know, I think of a handful of individuals that I went to school with that might have come across my work and, you know, you know, in various different ways, and have actually said, "I'm sorry." <laughs> you know, so I think some have realised that impact and obviously grown up and perhaps realised the issues they've experienced themselves. You know, quite a number of people were bullied for whatever reason or just seem to be a particular target. But so, if,
0: if they've apologised, I, I, I'm just trying to explore this because it's it's mm-hmm. a very fascinating and a very wide-reaching subject if the perpetrators of the bullying have apologized to you and mm. said sam i was a complete arse i'm really sorry but i was a kid yeah. of 13 mm. i did not know what the hell i was doing you know let's go and have a drink or can i buy you supper or you know whatever it is um it would be great wouldn't it if you could say Do you know what that was then this is now it. I've drawn a line under it. It's finished. They've apologized, and 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 now yeah. I'm I'm and now I'm 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 Sam Thomas, and I'm okay because I'm 28 and I'm all right.
3: I mean, yeah, that that could be one way of looking at it. And the other way of looking at it is the fact that obviously, you know, I like to think of it in a in the sense that you know I've turned a negative into a positive. So you know, in some ways, yes, it doesn't reason or justify the bullying at all whatsoever whatsoever and the impact that had, but. Actually, it's enabled me to, you know, engage with others, you know, who are suffering the same in their own unique circumstances where bullying could well be involved. So therefore, you know, the impact this had has been turned around, hopefully, in that sense. And that's kind of how I like to think of it now, rather than just dwelling on, you know, being the sufferer rather than being the survivor. You know what I mean? Mm. To the the
1: perpetrator, um... to the perpetrator who apologised to you. Do you, do you forgive that individual? Have you forgiven that individual?
3: Yeah, I think I probably have. You know, like, I think I've just moved on with my life. You know, I've, you know it's, it's, I vaguely sort of remember some of these, you know, uh, events. when you know, I was bullied you now because it was so long ago and things have moved on. Um, and, you know, someone introduced this new concept that I don't think has really been quite out there. It's not been put out there just yet, but it's the idea of post-traumatic growth rather than being post-traumatically stressed you Know the idea that you know actually does help us evolve as individuals um, from all those traumatic experiences, and that's something that I've been exploring, you know, for myself over the past year. Um, whilst I'm going through this sort of uh, you know, a period of my life where I've been you know in the hospital and you know got a new diagnosis and, and just understanding that trauma elements a lot more and what that actually means rather than trying to just ignore it without if that makes sense. without
0: prying sam and forgive me we no. always have a rule on men's <clears> radio station if you're not happy with the question you know it's not radio 4 i'm not john humphreys you can say i'd rather not go there that's absolutely fine yeah, but you're, ba- you're back in you, you, you've been back in hospital you've uh, you've mentioned it several times in our conversation with myself and yeah. phil is that bulimia related or is that another is that another no issue? it's not
3: bulimia okay. um I, I can understand why people jump to that sort of assumption and conclusion. You know, fortunately, you know, I've managed to keep, um, you know, keep, maintain a recovery from bulimia. Um, and I always say it's roughly around 2021 20, that, you know, I'd um, been free from the behaviours, if you like, of bulimia. Right. But of course, you know, as I said earlier, you know, it can manifest itself in different ways. And throughout my 20s, you know, I was quite famous for going to the gym every single day without fail. Some people might say, was that not bulimia in a different way? Possibly. Um you know, it wasn't necessary to do with body image. I think I was just a very highly anxious sort of person, so the gym just worked for me. You know, I was running like seven odd miles every day or I don't you know, see not
0: see any problems with that at My son is in this My son's in the gym every day and uh, yeah. you know, because that's what he wants to do.
3: Yeah, and exactly. And I think that's the point that I was just building up to, the fact that some people might see it as quite being quite strict and quite disciplined and see that as a positive, whereas some people might look at it and say, Well, that's just obsession so it's quite you know obviously you have to unpick that and realize what that's really about but it's quite interesting there are different arguments around that and i do think you know i do take it far to to, you know to the extreme with the exercise i recognize that now i wouldn't have admitted it at the time no way um because otherwise i just wouldn't been able to cope and would not be able to function without going to the gym you know, I used to dread, for instance, Christmas and New Year periods where the gym will be closed for two days. <laughs> you know, it's only two days. But you know what I mean? It was really? That, that it, min- yeah. you know? Oh,
0: wow. Okay, that's... Uh... So,
3: but that was just, I think, you know, I think in effect all I really might have done is swap one thing for another. And that's fairly typical with, you know, people who suffer, you know, from eating disorders might switch to something else, <clears throat> whether it's self-injury, drug and alcohol, gambling, sex even, you know, something or a whole set of different... Uh, sort of ways to cope or distract from your you know distract yourself from the underlying issues and I think that's just something that I think really sort of became clearer to me over the past year or so, so what's been undergoing treatment
0: right so do you go to the gym now
3: not at the moment no but I'm going to go back soon but I've, I have to limit myself to only three four days a week so well, I'm that's, having that that's, conversation that's okay
0: but I mean isn't around. it better to be fit you know I, I i'm kind of not seeing it as i, I was going to say i'm I mean, not to, seeing it as a negative i'm no, quite to jealous me, really. I, to me i would sort of absolutely,
1: suggest that yeah, there are far yeah. worse things to be addicted to and and thank goodness that you know, prove it thank and goodness I think, that there are mm. you know you're not actually addicted to those those worst items as it were do hmm. you know what it is it's, i
3: think it's about not being aware of the potential for it to become an obsession or an addiction i think in the past i wasn't really aware i think it was Sort of quite ignorant to it, quite oblivious. So I think, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it wasn't a problem. I was just being disciplined and strict, like I say. But I think, you know, I think because I'm aware of it now, being 33, you know, I guess, you know, when you you get to your early 30s, you kind of notice that pattern a lot more. If I think now how I've switched from one thing to another, from bulimia to exercise, drinking at one point, you know, I've switched all different, you know, all different sort of ways to cope. So I think it's just really about working with it than against it now. So just to be able to manage that addictive, sort of compulsive, obsessive um, behaviours, really.
1: And what was really interesting is something that you mentioned just before, which is a terminology that I can relate to but had never actually heard of, is when you were saying about post-traumatic growth. Mm. That sounds like sort of a real interesting concept because more often than not, we hear about post-traumatic stress. And obviously that is the negative effects of what a trauma can do to somebody. Absolutely. Yeah. But the point that there is a way of taking a trauma and turning it into a positive, I'm not trying to make this conversation about me because actually I don't like talking about me, if I'm honest with you. But the fact that I can completely relate to what you're saying about bullying at school is something that mm-hmm. I have been relatively open with on men's radio station in the past. In fact, it was just the most abhorrent years of my life. But the fact is that if it weren't for going through that, I don't think I'd be half the person I am now. And I just really, Absolutely. I'm loving the fact that there is actually an expression that people can cling on to. Actually, turn negative bullying into something positive.
3: Absolutely, you know, it's one of the things that I despise is the idea of being some sort of victim of something. Oh, you know, dreadful I, word. I think, you know, dreadful word. I, obviously, at, at one point in my life, yes, I was a victim of the bullying, but actually, you know, we don't really think about you know how it enables us to grow, evolve as human beings, and. Actually, just become more aware of our own issues, but also supportive of other people. I think turning it, you know, thinking of it as post-traumatic growth, sort of hopefully, sort of enables people to sort of think about the positive impact that, you know, some of these very damaging, traumatizing experiences that we all um, have at different points of our lives. Well, there's this and, age-old you know, adage. Isn't it's isn't a lot it? more Is realistic. I think Everything
1: as well. happens for a reason, doesn't it? Uh, yeah. And because it is, does I do it. believe in it. Uh, does mm. it, everything happen? You see,
0: everything everything. my dad would always say that and I'd go, really? <laughs> absolutely. I mean, really? Do we have no self-determination? Do we have no desire of what what we're able to do? You Indeed. Mapped no, no, no. Out? absolutely we all do. You it's No,
1: absolutely we do. Everything happens for a reason. Sorry to completely digress from you, Sam. I do apologise. Everything happens for a reason Is a positive way of thinking about something horrible that's happened in your life that maybe you do have no control over Mm -hmm. gives you the choice of what you're going to do with that horrible occurrence and how Mm -hmm. you are going to make that work for you as an individual. It doesn't mean that you can't control what happens next. You might not have been able to control what happened in that moment. I don't believe everything is mapped out. I think that everyone has the ability to choose. Do you know what?
3: I totally agree with everything you just said There, I do believe that you know there are certain things that we can't exactly control but how we can sort of manage the impact that it has
0: I get all that but I've got to take issue yeah. with this, this nonsense about everything happens for a reason what, why would I want to watch my mum who, who passed away a year ago go through 16 years of dementia and Alzheimer and suffering do you explain mm. to me Phil Dave why and that happens for a reason what is the reason the reason is crap the reason is a nightmare. There's no reason for everything happens for a reason.
1: She got ill. She did get ill. But you are far more aware of the disease. And I would, I would hedge my bets that even if just one person in your lifetime comes up to you and starts saying about discussing perhaps potential symptoms that they are seeing with their own mother, mm. and you can turn around mm. to them and say... I believe that sounds like well, the start that of what time. my mother I, I get that all the time. Well, therein, that's, that's exactly well, the yeah, reason it's, why it happened, is yeah. because you're helping others by doing that. It's about well, the way you look it, at it. Just to, sorry, I didn't mean to butt in there. But no, no, not no, at Karen, all, Please, your, This is your, go your moment. <laughs> you're,
0: you're the guest. You chat away, Sam. Sorry, I was just,
3: just sort of adding what you were saying there, but sometimes I think we you go through recent traumas. I think it takes a while to understand what the reasons for that might be. Because, um, you know, when you said about your mother, you know, my, my mother died when I was 25. You know, we didn't speak for seven years before she died. I didn't even know she was unwell, even.
0: You didn't and speak?
3: It was only, I know it sounds a bit Ooh. weird, but for the first few years, I didn't grieve her death at all, because I couldn't really process in my brain, how could I grieve with someone that I didn't have any contact with? But then, you know, as soon as I hit 30, all of a sudden, all that grief sort of flooded you know my brain risen to the surface so i think sometimes it takes a while i think to sort of get some sort of sense of an understanding when it's very recent still and there are probably a number of different examples of you know i've I've experienced you know it's relationship breakdowns and things like that that you know sometimes takes that little bit longer to sort of you know enable that understanding we could talk about we could talk
0: about this for a lot but uh I'm against the clock. I'm getting crazy signals from my uh, producer here. Um, Sam Thomas, if people want to get hold of you, how do they do that?
3: I think Twitter is probably the best way at the moment, actually. Which is at Um, Sam
0: underscore Thomas 86. I'll give you that again. It's at Sam underscore Thomas uh, with the number 86. Sam Thomas, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show. Really appreciate it. And uh, we'd love to have you back, as a matter of fact. So if you're up for it, and and we'd definitely like to have you back. You're listening to Men's Radio Station, where men really talk.